Hi, this is Deanna. And this is Michelle. And this is Historable. Part two. <laughs> Part two. So, Michelle. So, Deanna. We're back for episode two of Double Double Toil and Trouble Double Episode Day. Yeah, I'm glad you're saying that because I wouldn't be able to get it out. (laughs) Tongue twister. Tongue twister. We had some snacks, we had some liquids, and we're ready for round two. Yeah, and if for some reason you didn't uh, listen to the episode before this, apologies in advance. I am getting over a cold. Uh, that is one of the reasons why we did not release an episode last week. So we have two episodes this week. Yeah. So check out both. Yeah. Last week I did, well, this week, five Earlier. minutes ago, <laughs> previously, I did uh, previously an episode. On oh, historical. <laughs> previously on historical. Oh, that reminds me of like old school CW shows. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we did the Paris Morgue and it was pretty interesting and it was a lot of dead bodies and yeah, go listen to it. Yeah, it's super good. I really sold it there. You really did. Yeah. So in this episode, I am going to talk about something that I was aware of but didn't realize that there was an actual name for it, mm-hmm. and it'll just make sense shortly. So I'm going to talk about today Halloween sadism, which I'm going to say also known as check your candy buckets. Check your candy buckets. I... I'm someone who kind of dabbles in the news. I don't watch a ton of news. Occasionally I do. And recently, I don't know if you've seen this, but there has been a lot of talk about rainbow fentanyl and Halloween warnings about, like, check your candy for rainbow rainbow fentanyl. I did see articles and, like, the photo being distributed all around and I'm like, this just makes no sense, but okay. Well, and it's so funny. Um, it... It really takes me back to, I'm a child of the 80s, and I remember when I was really little, there was all this, like, you know, panic and terror about, like, poisoned candy and razor blades in candy and all of that. And there was, like, this Halloween, like, freak out. I don't know. You might have been, you might have missed some of that. No, I definitely still remember okay. all that. Yeah, it was, yeah. I'm a child of the 90s, but it was definitely still around in the 90s. Yeah. And so... It kind of took me on this interesting rabbit hole about poisoned candy, whether it's a true threat or an urban legend. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm so excited for this because <laughs> I definitely feel like there's a myth to be busted here. Yeah. So let's just like dive right into it. All right. So the term we're going to talk about first is called Halloween sadism. And so these are crimes that are specifically committed using Halloween treats or customs. Okay. So there's actually, I don't know, you would assume Halloween sadism is something else, but that's actually what it means. Just crimes with holiday or Halloween things. All right. All right. So there's a man. I showed you his picture before this episode named Joel Best. (laughs) This man's like literally popping out of a chocolate bar. Yeah. He's dressed up in like a Hershey bar. Um, So he is known as the leading expert on Halloween sadism. 
And so, as I mentioned, that is the practice of giving contaminated treats to children on Halloween. What a skill set to have. And he's no joke. He is a professor of sociology and criminal justice at the University of Delaware. Okay. So he is... He's he's, He's credited. He's got the street creds for it, for sure. Yeah. So he's actually... A lot of his, I guess, focus has been on this practice, and we'll get into more of what he's done with it. But he's traced a lot of the origins of kind of this urban legend and like what's true and what's not. So a lot of what I'm talking about today comes from his research and work. So he, in his studies, kind of traced back the emergence of like this sort of theory of like people are trying to poison our kids um, right when organized trick-or-treating began in the 1950s. Okay. So like immediately everyone starts trick-or-treating. It becomes pretty common. And right out the gate, there's tons of stories of people like heating up pennies and dumping dumping the red hot, you know, metal into like trick-or-treaters hands. That didn't happen, but yeah, no. it, it all sounds kinda... like a bunch of paranoid people. Yeah. And reports of Halloween sadism really took off in the late 1960s, early 1970s. And the correlation there is the public's anxieties were really deep in correlation to the Vietnam War. And so there was a lot going on at the time. And I think a lot of that turned into this paranoia about Halloween and these like awful people doing awful things to kids. Mm -hmm. In 1970, that's the first time you see uh, the New York Times runs a story about razor blades and apples. And I think that's the one that's like pretty commonly heard. I think that's like a good example of what people frequently say. It's like there's razor blades in your candy. Yeah. Right. And like candy packets with like pills and actually, this specific article that caused a lot of panic was quoted on the New York State Health Commissioner actually did a quote in this article, and he claimed that pins, razor blades, broken glass, and poison had all been found in Halloween candy. So, of course, people are going to listen to that and take it for truth. Mm-hmm. So this is when our buddy, Joel Best, and he also has another colleague, Gerald, I'm probably going to mess up the last name, Horick. They actually conduct an extensive study during the mid-1980s uh, to like look into this phenomenon. Is it true? Is it not? And what they came to the conclusion was that the threat of this actually happening, surprise, surprise, is greatly exaggerated. Mm-hmm. So they looked at a lot of cases of reports of this coming through. Um, they looked at you know autopsies, criminal reports, and things like that, just to kind of see like what's been happening here. And throughout their research, what they found was most of the cases that were kind of tied up into this Halloween sadism thought belief were either overstated or actually had no link to Halloween specifically. I think that makes sense because it's like, how do you actually measure that? Like, that's a hard thing to come up with statistics on. But yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, what they suggested in this study is that fears of Halloween sadism often happen most or rise during fearful times, which is kind of interesting when you think of the current climate today. We're kind of, you know, going through some stuff. There's like a lot of fear and concern. And then we've got this interesting rush of this rainbow fentanyl coming in. So I thought that was an interesting correlation they found in the 80s that actually rings true today in my mind, because I feel like I haven't had or seen like this sort of stuff 
mainly since I was a little kid. You know what? I really hadn't either. I thought the same thing when I saw the article going around about the rainbow fentanyl because I was like, oh, it's been a minute since I've seen something like this. But I think that makes a lot of sense. Like it's a good indicator that something else is happening. Mm -hmm. What was I just seeing too that I saw recently? Oh, that they can track the economic like economics recessions and stuff by the sale of ladies lipsticks oh i saw that too and i think also men's underwear sales i think too Mm -hmm. i think men stop buying underwear during a recession and women buy more lipstick during a recession yeah (laughs) crazy how weird random things that don't have any connection make a connection to something else yeah yeah and i and i definitely want to be i mean there have been some Halloween crimes that have happened attributed to Halloween. However, a lot of the fears in the stories are over-exaggerated. Just like the story of Halloween slash Halloween itself. Yeah. Throw, go check out our episode from last, last year. year. <laughs> check it out. Um, so there actually, there is one case that has popped up, and I'm going to talk about a few different poisonings that actually did take place around Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not to say it doesn't happen, but it's definitely over-exaggerated and hyped up for yeah. You know the world for sure so in 1964 uh in new york there was a woman named helen feel uh, she was arrested so apparently she was handing out ant poison and dog biscuits to like children trick-or-treating i guess when the police questioned her she was like oh no i was just like joking i only gave it to kids that were like too old to be trick-or-treating and so it was just a joke um luckily no one was poisoned and all the kids were fine but like i don't know that's like kind of not cool honey you meant it that was no accident (laughs) i mean i guess at what point that gets into the question of like what what age is too old to trick-or-treat but like go for it as long as you want to trick-or-treat who cares yeah i would i want to go trick-or-treat and i'm a 30 something year old woman yeah and who's to like say i can't go Mm -hmm. so anyway if you end up at her house she might give you a dog biscuit all right so noted The most infamous Halloween poisoning took place on October 31st, 1974. So this is actually a very, this was probably the saddest story that I read uh, through all of this. And there was a a man in Texas. His name was Ronald O'Brien. And he gave cyanide-laced pixie sticks to five children, including his son. Oh. So I guess the other kids never ate the candy, but his eight-year-old son, Timothy, did. And died soon after. Wow. That's so sad. Did he mean to give it to him, his son? Yeah. So So he was just really cuckoo. Well, so investigators learned as they looked into this case that O'Brien had actually recently taken a life insurance policy out on his children. And so he was convicted of murder and executed in 1984 with lethal injection. Dang. So so he was probably trying to kill a couple of kids, including his son, to make it seem like it was someone else's Halloween candy and mm-hmm. not his doing. Yeah. Well, it didn't work, did it, buddy? No. Unfortunately, the only thing that happened was he died. He died. And yeah. so did his son, which is really, really sad. Tragic, yeah. Um, And so, yeah, that is a really sad story. So although it was technically halloween related it wasn't a random act of it was intentional halloween yeah yeah halloween terrorism if you will yeah um so you know this became very popular news people heard about it so parents at the time understandably were pretty skittish when it came to halloween candy um and even authorities at time too can be kind of like worried about with all of this news and sensationalism 
um, around this. Like when somebody dies around Halloween, especially a child, I think the first inclination is that like, did someone do something to like the candy? Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's not very rarely the case. So um, there was actually reports of a seven-year-old girl in California in 1990. Uh, she was trick-or-treating and she collapsed. And so immediately right after she collapsed, the police like took her candy. They like looked into it. Um, later on, it was discovered that it was actually caused by like a heart murmur um, and she wasn't poisoned. But anytime kids have like gotten sick, the first inclination is the candy. And then most of the time they realize there was like an underlying health condition that contributed. Yeah. Something more logical. Yeah. So there actually is this really interesting story going outside of the U.S. Um, in the 1980s, there was a crime ring and they were called the mystery man with 21 faces. So we're in Japan now. Okay. And this group, I guess they blackmailed uh, Japanese candy companies and they threatened like, we're going to put cyanide in your candy if you don't give us this like ransom. And so at first it was kind of like this weird threat. Um, And the stores actually did pull a lot of candy from stores just to be like, just to be safe. Let's look into it. Um, It didn't end up being poisonous, but... They kind of had, they were on alert after that. Mm-hmm. And so nothing happened then. But then a few months later, the same black bailers struck again. Um, so same thing. They were threatening the same thing. Uh, packs of cookies and candies laced with cyanide were actually discovered this time. Oh. On the shelves in Japan. Fortunately, nobody died from this. Um I guess like the chief of police eventually killed himself because he was so distraught by not being able to bring down this crime ring. Yeah. But to this day, we actually don't know who committed these like Japanese candy crimes. That's wild. There's been... Not the candy. There's been over 125,000 investigations completed by Japanese police. Um, But to this day, they still don't know. So Because they had 21 faces. Yeah. So, I mean, not Halloween related, but like candy related... And so it's just... It's another thing that perpetuates the... The fear. The story that is poisoned candy at Halloween. For sure. Yeah. All right. So coming back to the U.S., um, I'm going to talk about kind of that theme I discussed earlier where fear around candy and Halloween sadism often rises during like fearful or scary times. And so I'm going to talk about the Tylenol poisonings of 1982. I think I've heard of this. Yeah. And looking at like the... I mean, I wasn't technically alive then, but I'm like, this is probably what contributed to like For sure. the childhood fear of like what happened. Yeah. Because it's really crazy. So September 29th, 1982, uh, there was a 12-year-old girl named Mary Kellerman. She woke up with not feeling great, runny nose, headache. Her parents were like, stay home, take some Tylenol, get some rest. And I guess at that point, um, you know, she was at home. Her father heard her go to the restroom. He heard like a loud noise, called out to her, no answer. He opened the door and saw his daughter unconscious on the floor. And she was taken to the hospital and pronounced dead from unknown causes. Wow. Also on that same day, a few hours later, uh, in Chicago. So a lot of this actually takes place here in Chicago. There was a 27-year-old postal worker. Uh, His name was Adam Janice, and he had taken a sick day. Same thing. He was, like, hanging out at home. He's like, hey, wife, like, I kind of have a headache. I don't feel great. I'm going to take some Tylenol, which most people do. And 
like Mary, he immediately collapsed on the floor and couldn't be resuscitated. So the paramedics did rule that one to a massive heart attack. Um, but, you know, his family rushed to their house. They were consoling his wife. Obviously, this is very scary and unexpected. She doesn't know what's going on. And overcome by, like, all of this happening, his younger brother and sister-in-law sister asked for some Tylenol. And they were the next to pass. No. Mm-hmm. So sad. Um, another kind of victim of all of this was a mother of four. Uh, another one was a healthy 31-year-old. Same thing. Fell to the floor at work. The last victim was a flight attendant, and she was found in her apartment several days later with an open bottle of Tylenol on the bathroom counter. Dang. So all in all, there were seven people in the Chicago area that died suddenly, mysteriously, on September 29th and 30th in 1982. Mm -hmm. So obviously this is really strange. Um, What is happening here? So investigators obviously looked into this very quickly. um, And what they discovered was there were capsules of extra strength Tylenol that had been tampered with. So someone had gone in, opened the capsules, and they replaced the medicine with deadly doses of potassium cyanide. Jeez. Which is crazy. I can't imagine. I'm assuming that's before, like, protective labels. Like, now when you buy an Advil, there's, like, the label saying, like, if removed, don't use. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue into my next section, which is titled, A Massive Recall and New Tamper-Proof Packaging. Awesome. (laughs) So, obviously, in response to this, uh, you know, Tylenol, the manufacturers, Johnson & Johnson, like, were like, we got to fix this. This isn't great. Um, so it actually led to the largest consumer product recall in American history. Yeah. So pharmacies, grocery stores, everyone pulled over 31 million bottles of extra strength Tylenol from the shelves. Um, there were a few bottles that were found in Chicago that had cyanide, but luckily no one else was hurt from this. Yeah. Um, the federal government quickly swept into action as well. Um, so this is when Congress passed the federal anti-tampering act so with this act anyone who is found tampering with medications food or other consumer goods can face up to at least 20 years in jail Mm -hmm. and this is when the fda also passed new regulations uh to package medications like tylenol in those new tamper proof bottles seal it's funny that they pulled all the extra strength tylenol because it's like who's to say that they didn't just pull random bottles of random pills and swap them out it could have been anything Mm -hmm. you'd have to take out literally every medication in my opinion yeah i was also telling this to deanna earlier i was like one time i bought a bottle of hidden valley ranch how midwest (laughs) (laughs) and i noticed that the little there's like a plastic like little thing around the cap that you Mm -hmm. rip off and then you can open it it wasn't there and i by it was I don't know the same size bottle so it's always got the same cap and I'm like did I already take this off and I'm like thinking back to my actions I'm like no I literally just bought this from the grocery store so I had to throw away the whole thing because I was like I don't know there's cyanide in here I don't know I'm gonna get poisoned and look it all comes full circle I didn't want to I didn't want to spoil my episode when you told me that story but in the back of my mind I was like oh you don't even know yeah I'm not just gonna grow everything myself and never buy anything again yeah Paranoid. There you go. go. Um, 
so yeah, I guess they actually, prior to that, like child resistant caps for medications had existed um, in like the 1970s, but this was really the first time that it was like the seal, everything was like, everything we, we take for granted today, this really was what drove that. Makes sense. It had to happen once, which is tragic, but I mean, I'm glad it's a thing because yeah, it makes yeah. sense to me. So obviously there was a major social impact upon this. Um, everyone was... You know, talking about it, these seven deaths were in every major newspaper on October 1st, which is kind of like, you know, the start of like Halloween season. Yeah. Everyone's getting into the mode. Um, and the media dubbed this person uh, the Tylenol terrorist. So like everyone was like, this person is on the loose. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they're doing. Seven people have, you know, died because of this. And it's like coming up on Halloween. Mm -hmm. And really, it contributed to that Halloween anxiety, that Halloween sadism kind of theories leading up to it. So a lot of cities and towns across the country canceled Halloween. Yeah. Um, you know, people really kind of took their anxiety and fear about the Tylenol. And they kind of took that and attacked the candy right so they i don't know the word i'm looking for but they just like transitioned or transferred those fears to the poor candy who had nothing to do with it not the candy yeah now i really want candy so do you does this make you want to have candy (laughs) (laughs) it does i really want a laffy taffy (laughs) (laughs) no one's gonna mess with the laffy taffy the halloween sadism is not the fear is not here in the historical podcast pod lab zero times (laughs) so really like everyone was like oh no you know this is happening this is a whole thing it's an attack like we're worried about kids going Mm trick-or-treating and obviously um here in chicago this was the strongest fear right these murders happened there were no arrests uh there was a columnist in the chicago tribune named bob green and he wrote If you are a parent and you have any sense, you would forbid your child from going trick-or-treating this Halloween. In the year of the Tylenol killer, it would be especially foolish to let a boy or girl go door-to-door asking for food. And this was like a really major like push by the city. I guess the mayor distributed like over a million leaflets encouraging like people in the Chicagoland area to hand out money or like small toys instead of candy. in one of the subdivisions called Poplar Hills, I guess the HOA were like, hey, residents, we're going to hand out, I don't mean to laugh, we're going to hand out coupons for candy and you can, the kids can go redeem them at stores, which I mean, I guess, but like people bought the Tylenol from stores. So like a trick or treating for coupons, I don't know. Seems a little silly because yeah, I see where you're getting at with the Tylenol because it's like they bought it from the store and it was tampered, one would assume, at the store itself. Right. So going to buy candy at a store could mean that the candy has also been tampered at the store itself. So yeah. And I just picture these poor children like being like trick or treat and then they get a coupon. (laughs) Here's a coupon, (laughs) Sunny. It's not funny, but it kind of is. Go buy some discount treats. (laughs) Yeah. So also outside of Chicago, um, you know, in New Jersey, uh, other you know cities in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, a lot of cities that year just canceled trick or treating. They were like, nope, this is too scary. This is happening. There's the Tylenol terrorist on the loose. Like no trick or treating. And what's crazy is 
to this day, so it's been an ongoing investigation for over 40 years. Um, the FBI is looking into it, other law enforcement. They actually don't know who who did it. Dang. We have no clue. There were some suspects. Um, I didn't want to go too far down like that rabbit hole, but nobody to this day has been officially convicted Dang. or suspected of this. So, or like officially charged, I guess is the right way to put it. So yeah, crazy, crazy, but definitely a lot of social impact on that event, the fear right around Halloween time. Yeah, not good timing at all. So to kind of wrap it up, let's go back to our buddy, Joel Best. So as I mentioned, he is hardcore into Halloween sadism. He tracks all of these reports. He looks into them. Um, I will link to his website in our show notes. Very interesting. He's got a an interesting little website with his little chocolate candy Jumping selfie. Out, jumping out of a candy bar. <laughs> but you can actually see all of his research and the reports on there, which was kind of interesting. Um, so all of the reports that he's looked into of Halloween sadism going back as early as 1958, there were 12 reported cases of Halloween candy contamination in 1982, second only to 1971, where there was um, about the same amount of reports. So one of the things that Bess likes to say is, though, yes, there's a report, but that doesn't actually mean it happened. Mm-hmm. So through his literature, through his research, um, you know, he's discovered like, yeah, there are some things. It's very rare. There's very few correlations between the reports and people actually wanting to poison kids on Halloween. Um, interestingly enough, the really thing that we should be worried about is uh, people getting struck by a car. That is that is real. That That's a real one. I believe that. Yeah. So studies show that children's risk of being struck by a car is four times higher on Halloween than other nights. So, I mean, that makes sense. A lot of people running around in the dark. Not paying attention. Granted, I don't know how many people actually like trick-or-treat the same way like we did back in the day, but... What are they doing now? What do you mean? Well, I feel like they do it like earlier. Oh yeah, it's definitely earlier. I remember, so I had a, a cool experience younger when I was younger where there was this newer neighborhood by me, mm-hmm. but some people would like drive from the next town over to have their kids trick or treat there. And I just remember it was literally children everywhere. Like what you see in the movies, like where there's just yeah. running kids everywhere. That was my experience growing up trick or treating. Mm-hmm. I then got to live in that neighborhood when I was in my twenties. I was a renter there in one of the homes and I was so excited for Halloween. I decked out the house. I like played spooky music and we had like 10 trick-or-treaters yeah and i was so sad because i love this is gonna sound creepy but i love handing out candy to kids (laughs) (laughs) i love halloween and just like looking at all the cute costumes and all that fun stuff but i feel like one yeah it definitely happens earlier because i remember coming home at like nine yeah it was late it was dark you wouldn't go out until it got dark right and then it's like but yeah i remember i think we did two halloweens there and it was just a totally different experience yeah yeah for sure so i guess any parents listening uh chances are you don't need to worry about poison candy you need to worry about traffic yeah um and just a little interesting fact um there was actually an analysis done of kind of children holiday related injuries in emergency rooms so among the eight halloween holidays excuse me Halloween is ranked fourth in the number of injuries. So there's Labor Day, Memorial Day, 4th of July, then comes Halloween, and then comes Easter. So that is uh, that is kind of when kids are most likely to have injuries. And it's not from candy. So 
that was interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I would, what you said, Easter, Halloween, and what were the other two? Uh, so it goes Labor Day, Memorial Day, Fourth oh. of July, Halloween, and then Easter. Okay. Yeah. So. Hmm. Anyway, if you guys have some interest in it, uh, check out Joel Best's website to learn a little bit more about Halloween sadism. Look into the cases, but from his reports and standing, like it's actually more of, I guess, to sum it up, more of a an urban legend. Yeah. Well, because I again, Deanna and I were talking about this off the camera, off the microphone. <laughs> there are no cameras here. Um, and I was saying, like, drug dealers are drug dealers to make money. They're not just trying to give away free drugs. Yeah, I don't. I don't really see the core. I guess. I understand the poisoning a lot more. Yeah. Even though I understand now it doesn't happen as frequently as we think it does. No. But I can understand a lot, that a lot more because there's a lot of twisted people out there that would do something like that. But no one's throwing cocaine. I remember seeing that when I was younger too. Like, there's cocaine, there's heroin, there's whatever. So fentanyl for me kind of is like, that is technically also a poison. All drugs are poison, right? But like, Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. That one's... Yeah, I think it's. I would just say, if based upon the research of this professor, I think when you start to see more and more reports of these sorts of like Halloween or candy poisonings, just take a step back, figure out what else is going on in society and the world at the time, and see if there's any correlation. Yeah, and obviously there are. That's not to say this couldn't happen. So also like be safe. You know, everyone. Do all the things like these check your just, kids' candy. These are still. just our opinions. Yes, <laughs> I'm not to say this never happens. However, the research that this this man who's way obsessed with Halloween um, has done has indicated that the it's very highly unlikely that your kids will um, have any sort of negative impact upon the candy. So like, yeah, let them go, enjoy it. But if it's open, just like throw it away. You yeah. know, it's kind of gross if it's not sealed. Chuck it. Chuck it. Yeah. And like, let's be real. Parents probably eat more of the Halloween candy than the yeah. kids do. I love the, um, I can't remember. I think it might be Jimmy Fallon where he, the, this is like, where he's like the kids, like the parents pretend to steal the kids Halloween candies and they record it. Yes. <laughs> Those are so funny. Oh my God. So yeah. Let's be real though. The, the parents are probably eating most of the candy. So parents watch out, but chances are you will most likely statistically be okay. Yeah. I definitely knew that when me and my brothers came home for trick-or-treating, there was some wheeling and dealing that was about to happen. Oh, We'd yeah. Dump our candy all on the floor next to each other. We would trade because you have to trade your favorites oh, for yeah. your favorites. And then I always knew that... I wasn't allowed to eat my Whoppers and my Kit Kats because they were for my mom and dad because my dad loved Whoppers and my mom loved <laughs> Kit Kats. And so they was my dad would call it dad tax. And so he always got those or whatever. And then I got whatever was left. <laughs> but I also was a weird little kid. I liked all those like what most people think are gross candies. Oh, like Mary Jane's. I love Mary Jane's. Uh, butterscotch. Give me a butterscotch Werther's. Those little <laughs> strawberry, like like uh, hard candies. Or what are those? I don't know what they're called, but they came in little black orange wrappings. And they were like, you would untwist them. And it was like a chewy taffy The saltwater taffy. Yes. Oh. Those. I love those. Actually, I think you and I recently were somewhere, and I'm like, do you and I would love right now is just some saltwater taffy. If we could just find that, that would be great. Ugh. I'm an old grandma when it comes to candy. Even at a young age, Michelle Even was just a, a little old grandma at heart. And just give me all your obscure candy, thank you. Yeah. It worked out for me with my brothers, because I got it all. I mean, you win. Yeah. Good job. Oh, my God. All right, parents. Well, 
obviously, use your own mind. Search your candy. Be but safe. don't be too worried about it. Yeah. In our opinion. Yes. Don't come after us legally because you think that we're telling you to do something or not do something. Do what you're comfortable with. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for putting that together. I feel... Um, I don't know if I feel a lot better about consuming things I purchased from the store, but I definitely won't stop buying them. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed our double decker episode today. What is it called? What did you call it? Double, double toil and trouble. There you go. What she said. Fire burning cauldron bubble. Yeah. <laughs> what she said. So yeah, thank you guys for joining us again. Apologies for last week, but you know what? Sometimes sickness and life just gets in the way. It's true. But Deanna's on the mend. Thank you, guys. We love you. If you want to check out my sources or Deanna's sources on either episode today, go to our website, historicalpodcast.com. If you want to check out our social medias, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Send us a DM. Uh, give us some feedback. Let us know what else you want to hear about. You know, just say hey. Uh, tell us your favorite Taylor Swift song from the new Midnight's album. Yes. Happy Midnight's for all those who observe the holiday. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we did. My favorite Sigilancy shit. Me too. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, we love you guys and we hope you enjoyed our, say it again. Double, double toil and trouble. That. And we'll <laughs> see you next week. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Yeah. I don't know why I can't say that. Yeah. I don't know either. Words are hard. <laughs> Words are hard. Who gave us a podcast? I don't know. We made it ourselves. (laughs) We bought our own. We bought it. (laughs) All right, bye. Bye.